To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week, I have on my buddy, Pat Nowak. I've had Pat on the podcast before. He's just a great do-it-yourself public land hunter. He's a great elk hunter. And right now, we're just coming into elk season. In fact, we're in elk season. I say just coming in because I start tomorrow with my elk season and hunt for about a month, a couple different states. Man, am I pumped. Uh, but Pat's just got great insight into elk hunting, both with his bow and with his rifle and some new age techniques that are working nowadays, you know, compared to we kind of talk the olden days or talk 20 years ago and what's changed from then till now. So it's a great recording. I had him out here to the house and and uh, great podcast. And I really appreciate him taking the time. I want to thank a couple of our sponsors. I want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh if Onyx could could log the number of hours I spend on their app, I think I'd be the all-time record holder. Uh, I absolutely love the app for scouting, for hunting, for real-time changes in my hunt plan. Uh, been marking waypoints and uh, for looking at roads and helping get me into remote country. Uh, it's just an absolutely amazing app. You can look at everything in, in 3D or in aerial imagery. Like It's like a Google Earth, and they're updating a lot of these pictures. They're also, you can save maps. So if you don't have service, your GPS and your phone will still work, and you can use these maps that you saved. And, and now they're revamping these save maps where they're updating the maps automatically, where you can save the map to your computer, and then it works on your phone. Uh, they're, they're just always doing amazing things with this program. The more I use it, the more I learn. It's just a great hunting tool. So thanks to Onyx Maps for their support. I also want to thank High Mountain Seasoning. High Mountain Seasoning has everything for your wild game needs. They have steak marinades, uh, jerky seasonings. They have everything for pepperoni sticks, for summer sausage. Just a, a bunch of great products for anything you're doing wild game. Their jerky jerky seasonings keep me alive throughout the year. Uh, I always do a fresh mix of jerky out of my um, some of my cuts off my, my game animals and then run it through the dehydrator, and it's just amazing flavor. A bunch of different seasonings to choose from. Like I say, steak marinades, uh, uh, casements. Anything you need for wild game processing or wild game cooking, make sure to check them out, High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, also, make sure to check out Eastman's and everything we have going on. We just came out with a new Eastman's bow hunting journal. Uh, I've got a good article in there, my thoughts and theories on finding big next level deer. Uh, it's a great article. I know our staff puts our heart and soul into these articles, and then we have just amazing subscriber stories. Um, guys like Tony Treach, Henry, Henry Ferguson is in the last one. Uh, just amazing subscriber stories that I love reading in each and every issue. So check that out. Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, check out our internet research tool, Eastman's Tag Hub. 
Uh, you can check out uh, Beyond the Grid is our internet TV show. Uh, I did a little research on this, and um, it, it looks like you have to search Eastman's Hunting TV, and then all the new episodes come up. Uh, I had a problems finding Dan's last elk episode, searching Beyond the Grid, but uh, Eastman's Hunting TV, if you look under that, it'll have all our YouTube uh, episodes that we have on there. I have a couple new ones that they've released on there, uh, High Country Mule Deer Hunt and an Elk Hunt. Um, so you can check those out on uh, YouTube, on uh, Eastman's Hunting TV. And with that, man, uh, what a turn of events. I just did that podcast. Uh, failures are uh, the building blocks to our successes. And um, I was able to do exactly what I said I was going to do and uh, find redemption. Put a perfect arrow in a good mature mule deer. So just beyond stoked. Uh, hunting antelope here a couple days and then... Um, Starting my elk season, so uh, it's uh, September 14th today, and uh, I'm going to catch my girls' volleyball games tomorrow, and um, then take off tomorrow night, and uh, elk hunting. So I absolutely can't wait, maybe a little late getting started here, the mule deer season is kind of dragged on, but I've got a bunch of time, uh, going to go chase some good bulls around, and I'm just beyond excited. Uh, can't wait, can't wait to see my Hawaii buddies and hang out with them, and um Man, chasing bugling bulls around doesn't get any better. So uh, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. I'll make sure to record some podcasts, uh, both with the Hawaii guys or solo, kind of let you know what's going on with my season. Uh, but thanks, you guys. Thanks for the support. Uh, let's get right into this podcast. So uh, my buddy, Pat Nowak, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Well, originally I was thinking um, rifle season tactics, as you're so good at rifle season, but seeing that you're so focused on killing one with a bow this year, I'd say we do elk tactics, and we just start off and do like bow season, and I know you do a mix and match of calling and stalking, yep. and so like maybe get into some of your tactics and situations that you're looking for setting up for like do you like cow sounds do you like bull sounds do you like challenging the bull do you like to uh hunt them in their feeding features do you chase them into the timber you know kind of all that stuff and then get into some of the rifle season stuff and you're so knowledgeable with like the rifles and calibers and setting up a rifle and we don't want to get too far like into the details there but i'll definitely ask you a few questions on it but really like rifle tactics you know okay. uh, living and dying behind your glass and then you know a few like um almost loaded questions where it's like all right like so you know and we learned hunting together so we have a lot of the similar styles like glassing elk and finding them in their feeding features you know and trying to find them that way but it, it seems to me in today's day and age that you can't just sit off the highway and throw your glass up out of your – like you were saying, the next level back, right? Yep, yep. Those elk have learned, and they've got shot off these faces and out of these easy spots where they're the next level back. And so elk hunting, you know, you you can't take the easy way anymore. It's like you got to just, like, pick a drainage and hike back in there and then see if there's elk in there by grabbing the best vantage points in there. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't spend any time and, you know, if you don't get off the off the road, you got to definitely get into a second feature for glassing now. I mean, where we just used to drive up and down the highways, 
you could glass and glass and, and glass a lot of good hunting spots that had great potential. And now they're just, they don't exist. Yep. I mean, they might be good for a couple of days, but there's 30 other dudes that are doing that and they figure it out quick and guys are on them quick and they push them to them next level. And yeah, by, by third, fourth day of rifle season, they're definitely back into them second features. Yeah. For sure. Perfect. Um, well, I'll get us started off. Okay. I'm here with my buddy, Pat Nowak came out to the house tonight. Um, Man, we've been hunting together for years. It's been a while since we've caught up. Yep. It's been a long time, actually. It's nice to come out here and go over some stuff and do some shooting together. Yeah, yeah. We were able to shoot our bows there a little bit. Uh, touch windy, but uh, we got her dialed in. Yes, Shot yes. Shot pretty good. That tailwind was giving me a good whip, but, you know, it's all right. It's fun. Got to shoot in the wind to, you know, take up the challenges. Yeah, you know? and you're shooting tack this weekend, right? So you're going to go shoot that 3D shoot up there in Big Sky? I am, yep. We're going to take my wife. We're going to go up there and shoot for two days. We're going to shoot Saturday and uh, Sunday shoots. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I'm, I'm always so impressed. Like, you were born and raised in this valley in some of the best elk country around. And um, you, you moved away for college for a few years and then came back and started a small business here. Um, you just know your stuff with, with hunting, uh, both with rifle and with bow. And so when you got over here tonight, you were talking about how this year you're really going to dedicate yourself to shooting one with a bow, right? I am, yes. I'm actually I'm, I'm going to put a lot of time in this year and do uh, archery hunting elk this year. So, mm -hmm. Well, you've always been good at taking advantage of all the opportunities in all the seasons. And you're a heck of a bow hunter and a heck of a rifle hunter. So... Get, so this year you're going to shoot one with your bow again. You committed yourself. You got that bow shooting. You're dialed in, huh? I am. I am absolutely committed to this year to uh, hunting with a bow and see if we can't get it done. I'm going to be weekend warrior guy for a little bit. Um, I do have a full week planned around the 17th that I'm going to go in and I'm going to hunt. Nice. So do you think that's the best dates to hunt archery elk in southwest Montana? I don't know if it's the best days, but it's the most vocal days. Like the 17th through the 25th seems like it's the most vocal for me where I hunt. And I just love calling and, and I love the opportunity to call the bulls. And it doesn't always work because them big bulls by then are usually herded up and they've got cows with them. And a lot of times you can spook them bulls if you call to them. Um, I've had luck with cow calling to those bulls. They'll respond to you. But a lot of times they're gathering up their cows and they're, you know, they're bugling as they're going away from you. And you don't know, you may be standing over there cow calling to yourself for 15 minutes and he's bugling and then getting faint and fainter and he's just going away from you. So that doesn't always work out, but I love it because it is definitely a vocal time of year. And I just love hearing them bulls just pipe off. Mm -hmm. I think you're spot on. I mean, you can get into some really good hunting early and sometimes those cow sounds work pretty good to entice a bull that's looking for cows. But yeah, if I had to put my thumb on it, the peak dates for the rut, it'd be right in those dates. And it ebbs and flows. And so you can hit heavy rut. Well, you killed a bull with me one year, like around the 6th or the 5th, that good six point you killed back in that backpacking drainage we went in, right? Yep, exactly. I actually, I know I killed him on the 5th. Opener that year was on the 4th. It's the earliest one I've ever killed. And it was hot. I remember we were sitting in camp the day before opener just watching that big 360 bull come rip off in front of camp and chase cows and chase a little bull off of a bunch of cows and we're like dude it's going to be incredible for opener and it was we had 300 head of elk in there and just 
25 to 30 legal bulls in that drainage. It was just one of the best years we've had in there. It was great. Yeah. And and so it ebbs and flows. Like uh, there was no lack of rut that morning when you shot that bull. They were bugling <laughs> like crazy in and through there. They were. Yeah. How did how did you entice that bull in? Um, we actually cow called that. Um, we had Cody with us at that on that trip. And, and I set Cody up and I ended up going about 80 yards below Cody. And I said, hey. Just keep cow calling. I said, if he bugles, cow call again. And he did. He cow called like six, seven times. And he peeled way away from the herd and came right to us. And he came right above me at 24 yards, and I pinwheeled him. I mean, I didn't even have to stop him. I mean, he just he stopped at the right spot to bugle, and he got it. Yeah, it was a good six point. That was fun. Um, yeah, so so you – like like uh, calling is one of the most effective ways to kill bulls. There's more bulls killed by the call than any other method during the bow season. So like, what kind of scenario are you looking for? Like like that bull. Why do you think that bull called in while some bulls you'll chase off with calls? I think that that was because he was early. I think it was early, and there was a lot of bulls and a lot of cows, and I think they were all looking to start separating their their harems. I really think that that one came in really well because it was early in the season i've had really good luck calling in big six points between the 10th and 12th um early in september um it doesn't seem like you can really call those things in they're always cowed up i've never seen a big six point a big mature bull without cows on the 17th i just never have um but you can, if you get in close and get into their comfort zone, it seems like that, you know, 70 to 100 yards is definitely their comfort zone. If you get within 100 yards of his cows and you bugle to him and you got that wind right, there's a lot of times you can pull that big bull at least half the distance to come down and at least look at you and see what you are where you can get, a you know, either a better look at him or an opportunity to actually take that bull. Mm -hmm. So when you're hunting, are you locating calling as you're working ridge lines and you're hunting back into country? Or are you just listening? Um, are you trying to get that bull to respond first off? So I've done it a couple different ways. Um, if it's really quiet in the woods, if I don't hear much going on, once in a while I'll rip a bugle and just see if I can use that to locate. Once I get a location on a bull, I never bugle again. Um, I've never had any luck bugling at them. I mean, they, once in a while they'll respond early. But when I hunt around that 17th time, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I've called to a lot of bulls where I've bugled to them, located them. You know, you get them to respond. Well, usually once you get into that couple hundred yards mark, it, it has always been a cow call that's brought them in. I've never bugled in a big mature bull. Um, I've run a few off dry in it, but I've definitely, the cow call has been, been you know, like a hyper lip or, or just, a, just a single read has been really good to, you know, to hit them big bulls, especially when they're hot and they're looking for a hot cow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so that's the way I used to do it, too, is it seems like those cow sounds would pull them in for me, you know, more so than the challenge bugles are getting in. Um, I would use those cow sounds as well. Uh, I would use the cow sounds to locate, too. When I'd go out to a glass, I'd like to do that, ew, 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 you know, that real whiny uh, estrus cow call, you know, and get them to fire off from that, too. But, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, you really commit to the cow call, and now um, when when you're cow calling these things, you know, and and this is kind of a loaded question, just because I have hunted with you, so it's not so much a chasing them, calling back and forth. It's almost like trying to get to where they want to be. It's almost like the place that you're calling from is more important than the calls that you're making. Would you agree with that? I do absolutely. I think that um, I mean, and and I've had several people say, hey, what kind of beagle do you use? 
Well, I'm still using an old blue Primos reed from 10 years ago, and I, don't, you know, the thing works great. Um, and there's lots of good calls out there that that I've used. I just that's been kind of my go-to one because I bought several of them years ago, and they just work. Um, and I've always found that it's not the reed; it's where you're at. Um, I've gotten in too close to an animal and then tried bugling at them. Um, even without a cow, one time I had a great big six point that I'd snuck into about 45 yards, but he was, you know, he was timbered up and I didn't have an opportunity at him. So I bugled at him. Well, he bugled back, but he gathered up his cows and left the country because he came out to just take a quick look and he was like, there's nothing standing there. So I picked the wrong location. I mean, I was in the open. I had nothing. So later on, I tried that again on another bull where I had actually bought one of those decoys. And I'd set the decoy up, and I knew this spot was pretty good. And he came out, and he'd seen that decoy, and I beagled to him. And he was like, mm-mm. That's just, a, I mean, I don't know if he just knew it was a cow, you know, that was standing there. But he, I mean, he figured it out quick, just big, mature bull. And he was like, no, it doesn't look right. And it was just out in the open, and I just picked the wrong spot. Made, hmm. made an ugly call. Yeah, I've always found, like, if I get to where they want to be, or, like, if I get to their bedding timber before they do in that deep, dark timber, sometimes just sneak close enough where it's easy for that bull to check me out. It seems like that's where I'll get them to cow call, or, like, uh, they're headed for a saddle, and I make it to the saddle before them. I always have good luck doing that, but a, a lot of it is, like, this, um, is reading the bull's... Uh, a mood and behavior and you can really hear his attitude through his bugle and how he's reacting to you you know especially like the you know if they're cutting you off right away with a with a bugle or even with a cow call you can just tell they're getting fired up and you can hear the emotion in their in their tones they start getting raspy and angry and you can almost hear it so I think a lot of it too is kind of playing off that how that bull's reacting is how you're going to call and I've always thought less calls is better yep I agree with that um so this is several years ago we had a bull that was really aggressive and I hadn't gotten aggressive with him and he just hung up and he was like at 120 yards and he just wouldn't absolutely would not move and I just bugled at him once in a while and I'd cow call once and he'd bugle, 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 and then I wouldn't respond. I was like, I'm going to make him find me. Well, then he just wouldn't come off the ridge. And I had my son with me, and I told him, I said, grab a couple of sticks and rake that tree. So he did, and he raked it aggressively, so aggressively that I spun to look at him like, what are you doing? And that thing raked a tree and started bugling. I'm like, whoa, it worked. And I ended up killing that bull. He was a six by seven, and he came right to me just from him raking the tree in one cow call. He was like, ooh. He's like, I wanted to fight you all morning. Here I come. Just right place, right time. He was aggressive, and I didn't read his call, so you're exactly right. Um, I think you get in a real aggressive bull. You can you can stalk on him. You can call to him. Um, if you get in the right spots, I think you could probably bugle or cow call to him and get him in. But if you get a real lazy bull that's following some cows up a ridge or something, even if you cut them off, I've seen them move, you know, and grab their herd. And just if you call to them, if they know you're there, you'd be like, eh, I'm just going to meander over here. He'll call every half hour or 40 minutes, and he's just not aggressive. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That raking a tree, uh, that's that's important, too. I think you can call in a lot of bulls just by raking trees and not making any noises. They They don't. 
equate that to human pressure like they do bugling or like they do cow calling so all of a sudden it's just like this this elk noise and and yeah those bulls will come check you out i haven't actually called one in from raking i just heard it from enough really good hunters that i'm like man i i need to start raking some brush more often when i get in close if i if i'm not in range and i I like to spot and stalk these elk a lot. Um, I choose to to not call and not let them know I'm there, and then try to play the game and try to wait for my opportunity and stalk. Do you uh, you kind of mentioned stalking on a big bull? Is it something where you are assessing the situation whether you're going to stalk or call and how that bull's responding, or are you always going to go to calls in September? No, I I will absolutely stalk a bull. I mean, especially if he's not aggressive and he's you know they're walking a ridge and they're bugling like they're looking for cows but they're not super hot or super aggressive absolutely if i can get a line on where i think he's gonna go i will do everything i can to cut that bull off and i won't ever say a word won't cow call i won't Mm -hmm. bugle to him won't nothing get the wind right try to get in front of him um i did that on a bull a few years ago where i knew he was in the timber below me and he'd only bugle like every half hour and i knew he had cows and like the guy I was with, I said, hey, as soon as the winds change, and we waited up there for like 30 to 40 minutes, I'm like, we have to wait for the thermals to change. As soon as the thermals changed, I thought he would get out of his bed, and he did. And we had already, as soon as the thermals changed, we started easing into the timber. Well, he got out of his bed and then started getting aggressive, and uh, I ended up calling that bull in. And then I, you know, had an opportunity at that bull. So, yeah, I absolutely think that you got to play the thermals. you got to play your wind. And if you can beat them to a spot that they absolutely are going to go, that's your best chance. Just be quiet. Stay in front of them. You might have an opportunity. Yeah, that that wind is so important in the in the mountains. Um, gosh, just, just trying to read it. It's always going different directions. It's almost like a higher understanding of those thermals and directionals, just like you're talking about the directionals changing. Um, so, so when you follow a bull in – uh, would, will you follow them into the, the deep timber or the bedroom or, or what is the situation where you'll follow them in there? And what's the situation where you'll hold back and try to play them on the evening? Um, I will follow them on a good knife ridge where I've got a good wind. Um, I've gotten beat up real bad in one of these, you know, in these box canyons, cause you follow them up into a canyon and that wind is always swirling. It doesn't seem like there's any good time of day in their bedroom where it's not swirling. So I've learned to stay out of those. If they get into some of these, you know, back basins where there's just a box canyon, basically, mm-hmm. that wind just never quits. It just, you know, you get these gusts in there and they're just always swirling. Um, I stay out of those because I've just, I've ruined some really good spots and burned some elk where I've lost, you know, lost an area for four or five days. I've blown elk out of it. Um but if you get on a nice knife ridge or an open hillside or, you know, it's got some scattered timber on it where the where the thermals are predominant or the wind's predominant, I will absolutely follow them into their bedroom. Okay. See, I, um, yeah, with those elk, if I can see them, I'll make a play on them. Or if I can hear them, I'll make a play on them in the timber. Like if I can hear them continuing to bugle, it, it's kind of like a locating beacon to where they're at. And I know where to kind of sneak through and slow down. If they disappear in the dark timber and they stop calling and I can't see them, I usually opt to not follow them in there. I'll play them in the evening when they come out the feeding feature. And I feel like I got a better chance to kill that bull when he comes out in the evening on that feeding feature. Kind of like you would do for rifle season, right? That's exactly how you'd play at rifle. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely would do that for yep. the rifle. Yep. So I do that with a bow a lot. It's so I'll follow them in. And to me, it's 
like uh, a lot of times following them in that deep dark unless they're calling if they're calling I know where they're at and I can keep working and playing the game but but when they shut up and then I don't know where they're at in that timber almost back out of there just because I know I'll have a higher percentage in the evening when I can see them come out Um, so sometimes I play that I also like those mountain winds like you're talking about how inconsistent they are and swirling in those box canyons I think the most consistent winds we get are that last hour when those mountains get shaded and we get that downhill thermal and it's like actually consistent, you know, like the directionals aren't blowing really hard. I, I've killed a lot of bulls in that last hour in the evening. And so I like I really try to capitalize on that last hour. And sometimes I can't help myself and I end up falling elk in and end up busting them. But I've just done it enough times where I don't follow them into that deep dark very often unless I know where they're at or unless they're bugling. So will you... F- you're probably the same way thinking about it, right? Is that you'll chase him if he keeps responding to your calls, but when's your point of backing off that bull? Yeah, if they stop getting fired up, you know, like when they're bugling, bugling, where you keep a locator on them, great. Absolutely. If you can keep the wind right, you're going. Absolutely. But if you can't keep locations on them, you're really playing with fire. I mean, you're going to, you're yes. probably going to burn an opportunity. And so you play it that same absolutely. way then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You, you have to, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I've burned a lot of bulls to figure that out. Cause <gasps> you just, I mean, you, you spend all this time to locate them. You don't want to burn them. And I've been very impatient at times where, you know, you just, oh, you know, he's in there cause you can hear him beagling and you walk in there and you check your wind and you know, at one side and check it and it's at your back and you're like, oh, do I push it? Do I not? Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to push it. Well, it's the biggest mistake you make. And now you blow a whole herd out that on a good bowl that you could have had opportunity after opportunity at if you wouldn't have just made a bad decision. <laughs> oh, you just keep pushing to failure. You keep chasing those elk until you bust them. And once you bust those elk, yeah, then you got to go locate some more. So that's, that's like one of the biggest challenges with these elk is they're so nomadic. And so, you know, there, there isn't elk in every good elk spot in the mountains. You know, they move around to different features. And so biggest part is like just getting into them and creating an opportunity. Like how much does your knowledge of this valley uh, play key into putting yourself into elk consistently? I think, I think a lot. Um, I see a lot of guys going in places where, you know, I've already looked at them and I know at certain times of the year, it's just, it's not a good spot. Um, I try, you know, my knowledge of this valley is pretty good, and it's funny because I've spent my whole life hunting one side of the valley, and six years ago I switched to the other side that I've never hunted, and I've lived here for, you know, most of my life. Um, And I use the same tactics on one side that I did on the other, just getting off the beating path, getting a mile or two miles from a road, finding good places to glass from. I mean, I live and die by my glass. Um, If I can locate a bull, especially whether it's rifle or archery, um, you find a bull with cows or a place that they seem like they're just absolutely content and they're willing to walk out there in the middle of the day and feed on a little feature or a little nook or, or a knob or something, that's a bull you can hunt. I mean, you take every opportunity that you have to hunt that bull because he's not going anywhere. He's pretty comfortable. Now, if you get him just cruising country, you catch him going across two, three features in a, in a glassing session, that bull's leaving. That bull's covering country. He's finding a place where he can go hide from people. Yeah, you're not seeing him tomorrow. No, you are not seeing him tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's a good point. Like, that happens with bears a lot, too. Like, there's some giant bears that we see that's just covering country where you have no chance at killing that bear or even going for him. He just <laughs> he walks into your life and walks out of your life, and he's gone. But it's those bears that are on those feeding features and working those small features. So 
it sounds like those glassing knobs and switching to the other side of the valley, you take advantage of all weapons. And one of the toughest seasons to hunt a bull is after the rut during our general rifle season, especially with 16,000 non-residents and all our, our residents here like that. Um, it's a different set of challenges when you get into that rifle season. You got to be tough not only with the miles, but tough the weather changes and you've got the cold and the snow. And then there's a lot of guys that go hard with a with a rifle in their hand. The Orange Army is out there. And so it seems like you've got to work even harder that time of year. And um you know, you mentioned hiking in a mile or two off roads and getting good vantage points. It's it, it's almost just getting out and covering that country and picking a drainage for the day, walking up there, seeing if there's elk in there. And then the next day you're up another drainage, you know, and definitely using that knowledge of the valley. Uh, you, you do start to figure out when elk are going to show up on winter ranges or where they should be as far as elevation or where they should be on the mountain. Uh, but how much of it for you is just getting to those places, believing in your glass and turning up that elk? Uh, it's everything. I yeah. mean, I live, I live by my glass. I love my glass. Rifle season probably more than, than archery season because um, they're just quiet. I mean, you only may get a half hour at the end of the day, half hour in the morning, especially with a big mature bull. And the one thing that I, that I, you know, you got, you can't get discouraged by is you got these huge herds of elk that sh- start showing up late on these close to winter ranges. And I mean, you may go, oh, there's, you know, there's 600 head of elk down there, you know, bouncing between public and private. Well, that you're not going to find a big mature bull. I mean, you, the, sometimes the unicorn happens, but I, it just, it's not a place I'm going to go hunt. And so I like to get off them roads in the back country, try to get a couple miles in and find a nice glassing spot. And I mean, in most of the spots that I have now, you know, I've figured out places I really like to glass from because I can see the most amount of, you know, terrain from where I'm at. And if I know if I find a batch of herd of bulls that's settled in and nobody's bothering them, I know that I just need to pick the best opportunity I can to get into rifle range because they're content where they're at. They're not going anywhere until somebody bumps them out of there. Um, I have a couple of spots where I've actually watched, you know, batchy herd of bulls never leave during rifle season where they were there the week after bow season got over and the week of Thanksgiving, that batchy herd of bulls is still in there because nobody's put footprints in there. Um, they've just been left alone and they just know that they can survive there and never get touched. Yeah, it's such a great point. So, yeah, early in my rifle career, I remember getting distracted with all those elk. You find all those cow numbers and bull numbers and those big herds that start making their way down to the winter ranges, and you can get distracted by those bulls. I remember thinking, I can't find a six-point. There's not a six-point that lives in this valley. But my problem (laughs) was is I just wasn't looking for those solo bulls and bachelor herds of bulls that live up higher and in those secluded canyons. And we both learned in this valley when we first started hunting late season bulls there wasn't many guys doing it we could cruise down these roads and look 10 miles into the range and start spotting elk and groups of bulls that were hanging on faces and things um but that's gone by the wayside there's too many guys that are too good at glassing nowadays to where um you know, any spot you can see off any of the roads, those elk just don't stay there. They get bumped there, they get shot there, and that's not how old bulls grow up. And so anymore, 
um, you know, I've found and I know you found is like you got to get back to that next level of country. So you don't always know you're walking into elk. You got to go walk up a drainage. And then what you said about the master vantage point being able to see as much country as you can. It's not just believing in glassing. It's believing in the entire process of believing in these master vantage points that show off all this country so you can keep tabs and catch one of those groups of bulls. Um, so yeah, just, just some great points you brought up there about late season hunting these bulls. And so they do, they get in these secluded canyons and they tighten up their program and, uh, they hardly show themselves during daylight hours, but they do have to feed that meadow grass. And so you catch these things, don't you? You do. Yeah. It's when it gets cold too. They really got to get out and feed a oh, little longer. Have to. Yep. You, just, you get that seven degree. I mean, it seems to be. I don't know why. I go. You know, I like that seven degree. If I see it's going to be seven degrees, I know that there's going to be a big mature bull feeding on one of those spots until nine o'clock in the morning. But he's going to be in a spot where he's not being bothered. He's not going to be touching. I don't know why I use seven degrees. It's just kind of always been my lucky number. And and. Uh, I just know on a good cold night, them things are going to have to feed the next day. And that, that snow's starting to get crusty, and they're having to paw longer through it and get into different places where they, you know, the snow softens up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I definitely like to use that, the south features that they can paw through. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man, so true. Gunny came down to visit us. Come on, bud, get down. Leave him alone. Um, yeah, you're so right. That cold weather, that cold in the snow, it makes those bulls feed longer. They have to expose themselves. They have to fuel their systems. And so you just know around here when we get the snow and the cold during rifle season, you know, your bulls are going to pop out, you know, and, yes. and you're going to see them, you know, they're going to stay out longer. Um, it gets to be tough that time of year, just the, the snow and the cold and during it. Um, you almost can't stop moving or you got to build a fire that time of year. Uh, how many fires do you build a year? Uh, too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love a good campfire because it just, uh, it just restores everything for a guy. And, and, uh, I mean, when you're on the mountain and you're cold and, and things are miserable, there's nothing better than a campfire. But also, you know, you, you are jeopardizing your spot a little bit, too. I mean, you build a big campfire, and, and you're sitting by and enjoy it. You want to spend more time sitting by that fire and not by your glass. Oh, so I know it. I've yep. done that, too. Build a fire where you can see. <laughs> <laughs> the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. You know? I've, always, I've always, you know, and I've told my kids this, is I always try to build the campfire a little bit back off the glassing knob because I'm like, if you can see the elk, the elk can see your campfire. That's true. So I've always done that, but then you're always walking back and forth from the glass. It's like, how much? am i really missing here <laughs> yeah you know? which way is the better way to do it yeah, <laughs> yeah to be right. able to see more and they can see your fire or see less and uh they can't see your fire yeah yeah it's interesting yeah I build a ton of fires lately i've started hunting that um using that teepee and stove that is a slick system for late season because it just gets so cold and so it, it's really tough to backpack that time of year and sleep in a cold camp once it's below zero or below yes. seven, your magic number. Like, man, it gets cold in a pup tent. Um, you know, yet and, and even it gets so cold to where a campfire won't even keep you warm with the wind. And I know you've ran into that before, you know, living at the tops end of these drainages. But that teepee with the stove, that thing's pretty money to get yourself warm inside there and have a nice place. And it's three pounds for the tent, three pounds for the stove. So you can split it between two buddies and you only got three pounds. It's a pretty slick system. Wow. I've actually never seen it. I, uh, 
and I froze my butt off on some late. Oh my god, you have. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, you are tough. That is the one thing that you have. Well, and so much of success just comes from persistence, doesn't it? And it with a rifle be. and with a bow. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, with a bow, it's so much more vocal. It's fun. It's fun to get out. You hear them. You seem like you get more opportunities. But the rifle, you, you, I think that if you're going to truly hunt for a trophy animal. I think that you need to you just got to have your wits about you because you may you may go a whole season and not see something you're looking for, you know, not something that doesn't make you happy, doesn't get you excited. Um, it's just a different ball game and you may spend a lot of time walking to ridges that you may never see an animal or you not definitely not what you're looking for. So, you definitely got to have your wits about you if you're going to be, you know, a trophy hunt and a general tag in this late season where it can get really cold. I mean, you and I have both hunted. We hunted a bull in three feet of snow in January on a special tag. And where we walked to hunt these things, everybody, including the landowners, like, you guys have lost your mind. <laughs> you know, like, well, I got to go where the bulls are, right? I mean, you're not you're not going to get it done on the flats. You're just, you, you, I mean, we just weren't. And we hiked to the top of them peaks, and it was incredible. I mean, and, but the snow is deep. Oh, it's I mean, so deep. It makes it so tough to get around in the mountains, doesn't it? That snow, just that extra exertion. I think it takes you the exertion of three miles to do one mile in that snow. You know, that stuff is just brutal. Especially when it gets um, above your knees. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Oh, 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 I'd never been so tired as hunting that deep snow. Um, but you're, it brings the bulls out and makes for some of the best hunting. You know? Absolutely. And so, yeah, a guy can take advantage of it. And I know... You, you know, like just back to that persistence and, and like you said, that mental toughness of um, just making yourself go day after day in the cold and go cover that country, go grab those vantage points, be in there. You know, the little things we talk about being there at last light and first light, but that's not as easy in grizzly country when it's seven degrees to make it to your vantage point before first light, you know, but doing those little things pays off and then you spot a bull or you spot the one you want. And you talked about you know, looking over a lot of bulls. You look over a lot of bulls during rifle season. You find quite a few, right? I do. I yep. do. Um, one of the things, you know, that we've kind of dabbled in a little bit, and I don't want to go into it too much, but, you know, we've gotten into a little bit longer range shooting. Um, it's something that we've really dabbled in. It's something that we even learned when we bow hunted. You know, if, if you're going to if you're gonna take a 50-yard shot, we practice to 70, 80. I mean, I remember years ago, like, hey, if you can hit that target at 80, you should be able to hunt elk past that 40 mark you've been stuck at for 10 years and it was the absolute truth you take yourself out of your comfort zone so something that i've done in the rifle you know with the rifle the last 15 20 years is really stretched the the distance um but i still i still have what i feel is ethical i still have a i still have a mark that i won't shoot past and for some people it might be too far and some people it, you know it's you know there's obviously a lot better there's people out there that can shoot a lot better than i can in clutch situations um but i have a distance that i you know that i won't break um for the caliber i shoot so i use that as my advantage too because i love big dark deep canyons and i love hunting canyons like that but i have to also be able to do make a 450 yard shot and i need to make sure that i know that i can make that shot across the canyon without wounding something so that's something that i do a lot of is big deep canyons that i can shoot across um and it's not for everybody but that has been something that i've used to my advantage and, and i've been pretty successful doing it oh man what an advantage yeah you're one of the most knowledgeable shooters that i know um you've spent a lot of time going deep down the rabbit hole and in every little detail of your shooting trying to fine-tune it and it does like all these 
you know, we all have our advantages and disadvantages in the woods, but it, anything you can put in your favor, and especially when it comes down to shooting, every successful hunt is going to come down to making a shot. And when you get really proficient and really good with your rifle and you know it inside and out, there's nothing that can stop you. And like you say, it allows you to hunt canyons that you can shoot across and gives you an advantage when you're trophy hunting for those bulls. So that's like uh, something that you've really honed over the years, and that part of your skill set you you know you you say there's better shooters out of there out there but you're better and know more than most and have so much confidence in your rifle um, that you know when you see that bull inside your effective range he's dead you got him he's done you put in all the work but having those those pillars that you can rely on that you're good at you know it's the same thing with me and my bow shooting I really rely on myself being able to make a shot being able to close the deal capitalize on an opportunity it's a huge advantage for me you know being uh, in in good physical fitness like that's a huge advantage in the mountains hunting elk in deep snow and you know the whole deal like there's so many facets that go into it but yeah you have definitely spent your 10,000 hours learning your rifles and learning your shooting so what is your favorite elk caliber um so it's funny because uh i've i've shot a 338 um edge it's actually a wildcat round now for about the last uh 12 13 years um i love that thing um mainly because i like i like the bullet selection that i have i, I love a high bc rifle um i, I just the biggest thing is, is that, you know, I, I grew up in the era when we, I remember back in the day when they're like, shoot the biggest rifle you can shoot effectively. So when I really went down that rabbit hole, I really, you know, I really liked the 338 and I started with a 338 Win Mag and I remember that thing just beat me up so bad. And so then I went back to a lower caliber. Well, then when they started coming out with heavier guns and some other advantages and better bullet selections, I went back to the 338. I love it, but it's a very heavy rifle. So, I mean, you're packing around, but my gun weighs almost 16 pounds. Wow. So, I mean, you, you, and people say, ah, it's too heavy to be packing in the woods. It must be a four-wheeler gun. It is not. I packed that thing on a 10-and-a-half-day moose, or moose hunt in the Madisons and worked my butt off packing that rifle. I mean, that gun is just heavy, but... Is it worth it to always pack it? Sometimes it's not. I also I also shoot a 260. 260 is a great caliber. It's a 6.5 caliber. Um, I like it. Seven mags are a great caliber. Um, I think the biggest thing is is a lot of people do get hung up on calibers. Those are my favorites. Um, I think if you can pick that gun up, shoot it proficiently, and know how that gun reacts at whatever distances that you're willing to shoot, especially at a living animal, I think that, uh, you know, it, there's no, there's not a bad caliber that you can do that with. No, that's it. Um, that's a good tip. It's um, spending time with your weapon, isn't it? And it even is. if you're a rifle hunter, it is not a gimme. I have seen more guys miss more shots with rifles, and, <laughs> and me included. You know, I've, I've missed some too. I'm not uh, immune to it for sure. But um, I think that's what it is, is it's just spending time with your weapon, spending time with your rifle, getting to know it inside and out. Like uh, before season, and, and I know now you're pretty dialed and know your rifles inside and out, but if, if you were a hunter getting ready for a rifle season how many rounds would you try to put through your gun you know uh, that's a tough number it really okay. is because so i i shoot anywhere from a thousand to twenty five hundred rounds out of, out of out of three different rifles every year um unfortunate that i've had to rebarrel a couple of my guns you know more than once um i shoot a lot 
I think that a guy, if a guy really wants to be honed in, I think a guy needs to go run a couple boxes of Sears Gun every single year. And if you're going on, you know, an October hunt, why not go hone your skills in, in July and August and go pick some rocks on the hillside or set a target up somewhere and, and take yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, if you if you think that, you know, hey, this gun's proficient at 350 yards, go stretch that thing out on a rock. You know, pick out a rock on a hillside and, and shoot that thing at 500 yards. Know what your gun's going to do. Shoot across the canyon. Figure out what the wind's doing to your bullet, to your caliber that you want to shoot, that you want to hunt with. So when you take it in the field, you know exactly how that thing's going to react to, you know, a 20-mile-hour wind or a 15-mile-hour wind and, and, and how it's going to just react when you shoot it. Um, so I always tell everybody, I said, if you don't shoot a lot, without a doubt, do not go into the woods without shooting a full box. And I, I, people are like, man, full box, it's $40, $50 worth of ammo. You just kicked out. I mean, I see a lot of guys just sight the rifle in and they go, man, they're good. The rifle's good. The rifle's accurate. But are you? Especially oh. when your heart rate's up. You know how it is. When you're out there, I mean, even shooting your bow in the wind, you know, you figure out what it does in the wind and you work hard to know how it's going to react every time you shoot it. Well, what happens when you got, you know, a big old six point standing there in range? I mean, your heart rate's through the roof and you're shaky. And I mean, that's why we do it anyways. But um, how you get, you need to, you need to know how your, your caliber is going to react in, in weather conditions and how you're going to react, you know, when you put yourself outside the box. Yeah. I was never better than when I got a new rifle and spent the entire summer running a hundred rounds through that rifle and really getting to know it and getting to learn it. I was just walking around with so much confidence in the woods and I'd spent time with my rifle and put in the work or put in the shots. Yeah. I think that's so important. So I know you get super excited. How do you calm yourself down for a rifle shot? How does that, how does, what's your uh, process? I'd say once you decide you're going to shoot an animal. Okay, so is what I've done in the past, especially in the in the in the little further shots where it seemed like you have a little more time on an animal that's a little calmer. Um, I actually dry fire on that animal. Um, I have I've, I've taken some animals where I've had the opportunity to dry fire six to ten times on them, and I make sure that those crosshairs don't wiggle off of where I wanted you know where I want to put it. If I sneak in on a, like a bedded animal, because I'm not going to shoot him in his bed, I like to, you know, I like to get him up if I can, um, and I usually don't try to stand him up. I let him do it on their own. But in their bed, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll sit there and dry fire on them and, and take my time, breathe through my shots. I, I use kind of a four second breath count. Um, it's something that uh, something that we've learned in some of the sniper training and stuff, and some of the courses that we've done. I don't know if it's it's not military type stuff, but it's stuff we've learned in some civilian courses that I've done. And just try to use like a four second count to kind of calm yourself down when you breathe in and out. And it, you know, slows the, throws, you know, slows the process down a little bit. Um, but dry firing, if I can dry fire on an animal, I absolutely do it because I want to make sure those crosshairs don't wiggle. And I get really excited. I mean, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I get super excited. Um, I've gotten to the point where I've, you know, had to go through my breathing regimen to keep me from puking. Just, you know, just like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, and you're trying to calm down. Um, I do get really, really excited. And um, last year, my wife even looked at me and she's like, I need you to calm down. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Man. So, I mean, I guess I wouldn't do it if I didn't get excited. But, yeah, um, yeah calming myself down, I really just try to take slow breaths and yep. walk myself through it. But, yeah, it doesn't always work. <laughs> I love that dry fire practice. Doesn't that get you ready for the shot? If you have time to run that dry fire practice and squeeze on them and know how the gun's going to react when it when it squeezes, I think that's a great tip to dry fire on that animal. Um, 
how how important is your rest? What are you looking? It seems like you set up a rest down when you're shooting or when you're practicing. It seems easy. Anytime you're shooting at an animal, why are you in the most awkward position and you can't get a rest and you're on a hillside? Like it seems like a, a good rest is a is a skill in itself. Yes. So um, there's some companies that make some really cool rear pods. I really like to brace the you know I use a bipod on the front. Um, there's some there's a lot of good. Um, Front sticks, um, front we, bipods. Yeah, we use swagger quite a bit. Yep. Phenomenal. I mean, their stuff is super sturdy. Um, I actually I have a swagger a swagger pod on one of my kids' guns. Oh, nice. It's just a 7mm08, and um, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's sturdy. It works good for them. Um, I use some other styles, too. Actually, I think I have about four or five different brands. Okay. Um, You've so tried everything out, right? I have. Deep down I, the rabbit hole. I did, yes. And I got ones that I like better for, for competition shooting, and I got other ones that I that I prefer for in the field. How, um, how high do you like a bipod or sticks to go? What do you prefer? You know, my bipods, I don't have anything that goes over 13. Okay. Um, you know, I got some uh, three to sixes, six to nine, nine to thirteen in them ranges. So you love the lay down rest. Prone. I do. Yep. I love the, the I love prone. Most accurate. And I I like a really nice rear pod. Okay. Um, rear pod is like is it just a single stick or it's like a rear tripod that sits on the back butt of your gun? So I got a couple of them that I use. So I have one that um that um is like a scissor. Okay. Um, and, it, and it folds out. It's made of carbon, I believe, or it's aluminum. I can't remember, actually. Um, but it's super light. weighs like four ounces. Oh, wow. Um, it's called an extreme pod. Thing's phenomenal. Thing works great. I use I use a lot when I'm in the field because it's so lightweight. I used to pack an actual rear bag with lead shot in it. It's like, <laughs> I mean, just a 16-pound gun. We're going to pack around a couple three-pound bags to put behind your rifle. It was just ridiculous, right? You're packing away way too much extra stuff. So... Um, one with that extreme pod was phenomenal. And, um, there's some guys that, uh, that built these, uh, get light pack, uh, pads where they actually have a rear bag and it's super, super light. Um, the name of the company is called Warhorse, and they're, they're actually here in, here in Montana. Oh, wow. And they make these, these bags with these really, really, really light, you know, fill in them. And they're great for great for shooting i mean hunting shooting sports they're just awesome you can pack them in your pack they're super light and i use them okay i really love their stuff you just gotta have something that's light so yeah, having a rear you know rear pad or, or a pod something you can really and if you're you know you're in a bind grab a rock if you can support the back of that rifle and keep it from wiggling whatever it takes your backpack um i mean there's some really good backpacks um if you end up in a higher spot where your bipod doesn't you know, as high, an internal frame pack is really, really good. You can, you know, set the rifle in it. You got to kind of figure out where your weight is on your gun so that you're not, you know, dropping forward or, you know, back. You want to try to center it on that back. That, I've used that several times as well. It works okay. great. So if you can't get to prone, you'll do a sitting position and then shoot off your backpack. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Biggest thing is, and then when I do that, typically I try to, you know, kind of uh, Indian style or scissor my in my legs where I can get my one knee up and use it as kind of the rear yes. rear bag or put uh, my hand elbow on it. to knee, right? Elbow that to back. knee. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. I love it. Um, and just I think the biggest thing is that is taking the time to support the rear of your rifle. I think okay. it's huge, especially if you're shooting a little bit longer, you know, distances. Okay. Yeah, man, it's such an advantage to. Um, 
spend that much time with your rifle and shoot that many rounds just so proficient with it you know it's you just know when you see the bull you want you can close the deal on them how much time would you say it takes you to set up before you're going to take a shot uh how how much time would you like to have and how much time can you do in a hurry um you know I can, I can set up quick. I mean, we, we've practiced it. Um, I've done some timed events where I've, you know, went out and shot competition with people. Um, and that really teaches you a lot. I really love doing that. I just do it for fun. I don't do it for, for trying to win anything or anything. I just do it for the hunting purposes. Um, so setting up, I can do it fast, but it took a long time. And I mean, I've lost an opportunity in animals before where I'm, you know, dinking around with my rifle and, 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 can't get it set up to where I want it or I'm comfortable and you know how it is you you know a little too low in the front or a little too high just can't get comfortable I can set up quick um I have the have the equipment that I've, I can set up quick but if I can take 10 minutes I mean I know that's un, almost unheard of but I love it if you can if you can take all the time like that to set up you can you can really get your gun set up where you want it and you're dialed. Well, and sometimes you're waiting for these elk to come out and you're sitting in shooting position. That's the way I used to play it a lot. Is that you glass them, you put them away for the day, and then you try to predict where they're going to come out that night and you make a play over to put yourself in shooting position of these bulls when they come out. So when you're in a shooting position, the bulls aren't, aren't, aren't out yet. And so you have time to really set yourself up and get your rest right so when they do come out you're all ready to shoot you know so if he comes out five minutes left before uh last shooting light you know you have a chance at him but a lot of times i'll set up like that way so i can take that 10 minutes you're talking about yep yep i like i like it you know when you like you just said when you're sitting there on a spot i mean this is excuse me this is probably one of my favorite things with with working with kids um like my kids if you can get into a spot where you know they've went in and bedded for the day and you sit on a ridge and say yeah no the chances there are going to come out you know right here uh it's there's just nothing better you set you know set them up or even if it's just yourself you set up dry fire on a couple spots on the hillside and you're like oh man you're just you're just ready And, and and lots of times they never come out in the same spot like they didn't read the script but other times they do, and that just, I mean, when it comes together, you're like, oh, my. So, I mean, you're ready for them. You've had a couple hours to, you know, sit and anticipate the whole thing. Eventually it comes together, right? <laughs> you does. do that enough time on enough <laughs> bowls, eventually you get it right and they come out. Well, yeah, you've shot some great bowls across this valley and across Montana. But, yeah, just fun to visit with you about elk hunting. So much experience. Um hunting these things both with a bow and with a rifle um so what your plans this year um you're going to kill one with your bow and then your wife has a good rifle tag right she does have a good rifle tag and here in the state and we're going to dedicate rifle season to her and um took a lot of years to draw it this is her she had 13 points she's never drawn a special permit it's a great tag um i actually have a lot more points than she does and i was applying as well and and uh, i didn't draw it so it'll be a good scouting trip for you (laughs) (laughs) at first it was funny because uh my buddy had texted me and said hey tags are out you know and so i check and i was kind of you know i didn't draw nothing and i was pouting around the house and and my wife says oh why are you in such a bad mood and i didn't draw nothing again you know and she's like oh she's like well did i and i'm like i don't know i didn't check you know so we're laying in bed and i'm thumbing through my phone and i pop up and an unsuccessful deer and i'm like whoa wait a minute 
where's the elk, you know? And, and then, oh, my God, you drew. And, I mean, it was the excitement. It was, it was excitement like I had the tag, but at the same time, I was a little jealous of her for a little while. <laughs> but, no, we're going to stick a lot of time in, yeah. and uh, we're going to do some serious scouting for her, and we're going we're gonna to try to give it everything. And she's she's also an archery shooter and, and a, a phenomenal rifle shooter, um, loves her bow. Um, the last few years, she's really taken to the bow. I think she likes the, the weather a little better. Mm-hmm. Super excited for the tag. I've dedicated my season for bow season this year. It's going to be for me. Um, I'm going to hunt as hard as I can, as many days as I can get in bow season, and I'm not going to plan any any time for myself for rifle season this year. Just you know, for her and her tag, whether she gets it done on day one or day ten, I'm going to try to make sure that all my all my hunting is for the most part is going to be tied up by you know before rifle season starts. Ah, so. how cool! You guys are going to have a blast. Yeah, how fun to go. You know, to get the opportunity to go hunt a, a really good elk spot and, and um, draw that tag and you get to go with her and share in it. Yeah, you guys are going to turn up some good bowls. That's good country out there. So, yeah, just got to keep her warm. She likes that early warm weather. Huh? I don't blame her. It's nice. <laughs> you know, it was funny. A couple of years ago, I had one before she got took up bow season. I had walked her up one of these faces and just, you know, foot and a half, two feet of snow and got her all the way in there. And, she got there and she goes, "This is the last time I'm doing this." And I'm like, "I'm like doing what? Elk hunting?" And she's like, "No, walking through knee plus deep snow. It's below zero. She's like, you know, she goes, it's just to the point where I don't hate elk that bad. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? She's like, she's like, I think you have to hate something to have to work this hard. And I was like, well, you know what? She's like, she didn't like the cold weather and she never has. And I'm just like, oh man, I love it out here. And she's like, well, I don't. So, um, she took up bow hunting, loves archery. Um, so we've been doing that with her. And, you know, last year she took her first elk with a bow and, oh, and cool. I, I really think that sunk the hook. I mean, she's she will be a bow hunter. I mean, I think she I think she enjoys that more, and she does the rifle season now. So I don't think I'll be able to uh, – it's going to be a little tough with her, you know, not being able to bow hunt. She can bow hunt, but um, with having that uh, rifle tag, she, she, you know, she's – for elk, she's got to stick to her guns on this one. But um, – so she's already asking, "Hey, so so can I hunt deer?" <laughs> and I'm, you know, you know me, I'm not much of a deer hunter, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we're going to put that together with bows in our hands. And if I tag out early with a uh, with a bow in my hand on elk, I'm, I might have to learn something that I've never <laughs> learned. <laughs> oh, you're a good deer hunter too. You'll turn mm-hmm. up some deer. Yeah, you guys are going to have a fun season. That's um, that's really cool. Well, um, dude, I just really appreciate your friendship. Appreciate you hopping on and sharing what you know about elk. And, um, yeah, good hunting this season, man. Give them hell. Yeah, yeah, same to you. I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Yep. That was perfect. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Oh, I always enjoy talking to my buddy Pat. Uh, The guy is so knowledgeable about public land hunting and just works his butt off. Uh, to get it done each and every year, and he's killed some giant bulls over the years. So uh, thanks to Pat for coming on the podcast, and um, man, time to get to some elk hunting. I thought I'd get out some good elk content to you guys, as as most of you guys are probably in the elk woods now or just getting ready to go. Uh, So I've got another elk episode next week that we'll follow it up with, and um, man, it's fun. Hunting season is fun. It's fun to go all in uh, and be able to, to get to the mountains and chase some critters around. So I know I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm sure you guys are too, or at least looking forward to your hunts coming up. So, man, good hunting. Uh, enjoy the process. It's fun. 
Uh, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors. I want to thank High Mountain Seasonings, just everything for your wild game needs. Make sure to check them out. And uh, if you don't already have Onyx, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, no, Onyx is just a, a great and powerful tool for scouting and hunting. I absolutely love it. Uh, so if you, you need something for your phone, you don't even have to buy a GPS anymore. Your phone will work as a GPS as long as you save the maps before you get there. You can share waypoints, which I've been doing with a bunch of my buddies, friends and acquaintances. Uh, you send over waypoints, and they know exactly where you're talking about or how to get there. Uh, so just an amazing program, thanks to Onyx. And with that, get these podcasts out and ready to go to you guys. And, um, man, get packed up and get after some bugling bulls. It just doesn't get any more exciting than hunting elk. So, uh, man, I am jacked. Go cut these legs loose and um, go have some fun. Go chase some bulls around the mountains and... Um, See if I can't get into a good six point. So uh, good hunt to you guys the rest of the season. I'll um, get a podcast ready to load up here next week and uh, keep this thing rolling. Uh, I really appreciate all the photos and kind words, you guys. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting a handful a day of guys that are successful on bulls, on bucks. Gosh, I had a, a kid or a young man that, that wrote me this morning, and he was out on day nine and to refuel and resupply is on a high country mule deer hunt. Went out, resupplied, got his stuff, listened to the episode, uh, failures are the building blocks to our successes, and uh, went back in and killed his first archery high country buck uh, on day 10. So happy for him. I'm so happy for all your guys' success. You guys are the ones putting in the work, uh, but it's just amazing to have a small part in your guys' success. So uh, I really enjoy it, and, and I wish you guys the best for the rest of the season, man. Keep after them, and, and enjoy your time in the woods. It's nice to have some normalcy and, and uh, get to the mountains, so make sure you enjoy your time away. So um, with that, um, check in with you guys next week. <laughs>